Welcome to Akatink Unitarian Universalist Church and our live stream worship service. I'm Reverend Pippin Whitaker, your minister. Akatink UU Church is a welcoming and inclusive community that seeks to create a more just and compassionate world through our actions, actions that bring about justice and by honoring the web of nature of which we are all a part. All are welcome here. No matter whom you love, no matter your identity or your heritage, no matter your beliefs or background, no matter your means or your gifts, you are welcome here in this religious community. And you are also welcome to share in our virtual coffee hour after worship today. Today, we also have an art show during coffee hour and you can find the link to join in in your online order of service or in the chat box at the end of worship, and also in your email or by emailing info at akatinkuu.org. I now introduce you to your worship associate for today, Jim Gerard. Good morning. Hi, I'm Jim Gerard, your worship associate for today, and I invite you to close your other apps and computers and devices and take a deep breath and center yourself for worship. If you are new to Akatink and would like to talk more about the church, please be sure to reach out to me, Reverend Pippin, or a member of the board. Uh, contact information is posted on our website at www.akatinkuu.org. On our website, you can check the online order of service or on the worship section of our webpage. While you are on the website, be sure to check out events for upcoming virtual gatherings and other good news. Today, we join together to explore collective liberation as we are exploring all month. We hope to be inspired to things that we can do to build a world that we dream of. And in our congregational mission, we aspire to create a more embracing and just society. Let us begin then by contemplating a concrete situation that's been on my heart lately. As an example, stimulus checks. Some have sent their checks and spent them already to delayed rent payments and mortgages and groceries. But some do not foresee a need for the checks. What if part of collective liberation could be constructed with these payments? If you're looking for a home for your stimulus check, consider giving to a food bank or an immigrant assistance organization. Those of us who work in formal economy may have received support, but those of us who work in the informal economy for example, who clean homes or many part-time workers and day laborers are left out of help with nowhere to turn. Can we make this troubling situation more embracing and just as our mission calls us to do? In this service, we turn to deepen our inspiration of collective liberation and stretch our hearts and minds beyond then this present crisis. 
let us stretch and examine the rights and responsibility that we have as beings on a shared planet. As Earth Day approaches, come, let us worship. We began our worship with our chalice lighting. And I will light a chalice that my oldest child made while Jim reads these words. Being human means we are of this earth by Sweet Home Teacup. May we recognize and abandon the familiar attitudes and practices that do not serve the whole. We are who we are and we have the opportunity to be who we want to be. To create new inheritance for the future. May our thoughts, words, and actions in our daily lives assist in dismantling paradigms of oppression and suffering. May we give thanks for our individual place and time and space and to our families and our relationships that touch and change us. May we give thanks to the wise teachers who helped remember how to be and the chance to make it so. Underneath and within these stories and histories is our humanity. Being human means we are of the earth. We are these waters. We are fire and atmosphere. We are the sun and the moon and the stars. We are all that we see and the wisdom is revealed by looking in between. I want to invite you now into a time of meditation and prayer. Center yourself and get comfortable. Once again, my heart is reminded that we are all in very different places. And I invite you to imagine a raft. We do not build a raft by piling log upon log, heavy thinking down a raft. We build a raft by laying out logs, stretching out as far as they are, and tying them together. So let us rest on our breath now, on our center on our community. As a community, our mission says we seek embrace, a more embracing and just community. Let us reach out and be connected. Yes, we are in different places, different Zoom screens, different lives. I've spoken with many and some of you are fine. And for that, I am so grateful and many are not fine for those who have sick loved ones whether they're sick from covid or cancer or otherwise all those parents and children and cousins and friends who want to hold their sick loved ones or be in the company of family let us send prayers of comfort and hope that soon they can embrace their loved ones in health. And many are struggling with internal battles too, I know, overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, lost in the maze of depression. 
let us again embrace all of this fear and struggle in our community. Embrace it with prayer. Prayer for peace. And if, if you meditate more than prayer, then send hope for strength and the light of hope that breaks through this clouded time. As we pray and hope, we say this together. You are not alone. You are never alone. I offer us in this prayer time a poem from Denise Levertov called The Fountain. Don't say, don't say there is no water to solace the dryness at our hearts. I have seen the fountain springing out of a rock wall and you drinking there. And I too, before your eyes, found footholds and climbed to drink the cool water. The woman of that place shading her eyes and frowned as she watched, but not because she grudged the water, only because she was waiting to see we drank our fill and were refreshed. Don't say, don't say there is no water. The fountain is there among its scalloped and gray and green stones. It is still there and always there with its quiet song and strange power to spring in us up and out through the rock. Right now, I want to recenter ourselves here in this space on this Sunday morning where Earth Day is approaching. As beings of this earth, in our imperfect situations, what rights and responsibilities do we have? I want you to take a walk with me years ago and picture South Mississippi in 1990, actually mid 80s. Picture an 11 year old girl living in a suburban neighborhood and it represents a mix of working class and white collar families. The neighborhood had started optimistically as the population in the area had expanded and then it stopped. The girl's neighborhood is left with a U-shaped loop of lots with modest 15 to 20 year old homes with short, well-populated side streets. But there's a divider at the top of the U loop. And once you go past that dividing street, the road continues only now with no houses. In this realm, there are only empty, cracked concrete streets left in disrepair. These forgotten streets flow on in a rhythm of clear curbs punctuated by driveway stubs that open to young forest. And within the forest are 20 year old pine trees stretching up to the clouds, showing off how fast they can grow. The girl walks these streets with her family nearly every day. And on many days, they delve into the young forest along foot-worn dirt paths that are mostly clay and inhospitable to the fast-growing weeds. A few paces down the footpath, the girl is immersed in a lush world of pines, 
a few large oaks that survived the mass clearing years ago, and a dense brush of shrubs and prickly vines. It is best to stick to the path. But inside here, flocks of birds thrive, and deer and raccoon and fox tracks can be found on every adventure, and snakes are to be avoided. Each day, after 10 or 15 minutes of this hike, the lush and vibrant world dissipates back into the old concrete road, back to the forgotten neighborhood street. As they pass back by another dozen forgotten driveways, the family returns each day to the human inhabited neighborhood. This was my neighborhood the one where I spent my entire adolescence. The forest was as much my home as the houses. The birds and trees and squirrels and deer and rabbits and possums and foxes and snakes, they were my neighbors. My human neighbors bemoaned the eyesore. They did not like the brush and scrappy pines. They did not like the beings who inhabited the land. But I could not see any eyesore, nothing beyond the cracked concrete. And then one day when I was about 15, the Fox Run signs went up. It was well named. Run for your lives, foxes, I thought. Within weeks, my heart was broken. The forest was dead. The family walks down the empty concrete roads. We're now accompanied by giant tire tracks, new cracks, and the old driveway stubs now opened to barren clay. No trees. Now porta potties sprouted as work crews began their labor for other people's homes. What right did they have to destroy the land? Did they have no idea what beauty lay within? Did they not know that so many depended on this place and that any human could find joy there? As I saw no one was arrested and no fuss was made, I surmised that people believed they had a right, but who gave it to them? The neighbor humans in some ways gave them that right. They were very happy and the neighbors spoke of the coming improvement in the value of the neighborhood, how it was a sign of good times. As an aside, they were not happy when they saw the rash construction and flimsy apartments going up, but still little fuss was made. The right of the builder seemed evident. They had a right to use their land as they saw fit as long it was, as it was what was needed in order to profit. So I inferred the sense of right that was evident. Owners have a right to profit and others give them that right because they also believe they have the right to profit. It was not always that way in my adolescent home. It was not always that way here where I sit today. In my home in Southern Mississippi, they cleared the land that had been home to the Choctaw Yakani people, 
the Choctaw, people and others for thousands of years who had lived there. And in those many years, the Choctaw and their predecessors lived in small villages, trading along forest paths with other villages and peoples. Choctaw land centered on plaster and thatch roof homes and cornfields, and they tended forests based on access to resources they depended on. They did not possess the land like the Fox Run builders. It is hard to grasp what the Choctaw beliefs were regarding rights at the time. And the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians reminds us that culture evolves and it adapts over time. And thus it is difficult to know precisely what the ancestors believed. Still, it is safe to say that the builders at Fox Run and my neighbors circa 1990 seem to have a very different set of beliefs than had lived there for so many years. Indeed, over the history of the very heavily documented Western philosophical tradition, there have been many different conceptions of rights. And the notion of a right to profit without regard to impact is not a Western cultural universal. As an example, the ancient Greek playwright Sophocles articulated the notion of natural laws in or around 441 BCE, before the Common Era. And he did this in the play Antigone. Within the notion of natural law is the idea that people are bound to one another and right action through responsibility or duty. Through the protagonist named Antigone, Sophocles uses the example of burying our dead. And Antigone says that she has a responsibility to bury her brother and her brother a right to be buried, no matter what the human law is. And by the way, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. picks up exactly this notion of natural rights over two millennia later when he writes his famous letter from the Birmingham jail. But the core of the natural law idea that Sophocles artic articulates is that there are the laws of people that we make up to suit our business and organize our affairs. And these laws we pass by assembly or even by a tyrant's decree, as in the case of the play Antigone. But these laws are second to, they are subject to a higher moral law or natural law. This notion of a law of the people as legal law versus a natural law has been with us ever since. We have legal rights passed by humans in assemblies, but we have natural moral rights that ought at times, if not always, to supersede these. This is at the heart of my formative experience with the clearing of the forest and decimation of all that beauty that I knew so well there. We seem to have lost hold on our humility. Intoxicated by the dazzling prospects of profit, the promise is made that profit makes of a safer, more powerful, more affluent, more respectable future, it has beguiled us into an utter lapse of willingness to perceive our place in the web of things, our place as earthlings on a shared planet. But not everyone has forgotten our responsibilities. The nearly native gardeners remind us the Green Sanctuary and social justice leaders call us and the Faith Alliance for Climate Solutions who we're supporting this month 
are calling all humans to make some modest changes to honor our responsibility to nature. The Faith Alliance aims to make our county carbon neutral by 2050 and to grow our tree canopy and to bring down our waste and greenhouse gas emissions and to ensure that we honor our responsibility to the well-being of all our residents as an environmentally just community. The Faith Alliance calls us to these changes, which I believe are modest, because we have a responsibility to our ecosystems, a higher moral calling, and because we have a responsibility to one another, again, a higher calling, and because we have harmed our shared ecosystems, and we hope the harm is at least mostly reversible. Let us return then to Sophocles and Antigone's notion of responsibility to natural laws. If we have harmed Earth, what are our rights? Are they revoked because we have violated them or are they persist persistent? For Antigone, the natural law of burial involving rights and responsibility was not subject to human intervention. As Flawed as the Greek philosophies were, like our modern and postmodern philosophies as well, there's a kernel I want to bring out from Sophocles, which is this notion of the natural law as relational and irrevocable. In the play, Antigone's brother defied the tyrant king Creon, and Creon orders him killed. And to add to the punishment, the tyrant forbids that he be buried saying he should be left for the dogs. Antigone defies this order and repeatedly attempts to bury her brother. And she does this with great moral force and integrity, insisting that she must obey the higher natural law that she bury her brother because that law supersedes the tyrant's cruelty. I have certainly observed the power of such a higher moral law when I think of the flawed and cruel excuses bandied about to justify child separation, family separation at the border, I find they are all a violation of the natural and higher law here that a child absolutely has a right to their parents and their parents to them, accepted only in situations of dire abuse when the child's natural right to live is at stake, which is not the case, not the case in family separations at the border. Back to the forest I grew up with, I now understand that my heart was not only broken, it was angry. Angry because I watched a natural law broken. We humans have a right to live here and a right to thrive here, but putting profit above an ecosystem that is going too far. Holding profit, not even survival, but profit as a higher right superseding the rights of ecosystems is an abomination. Holding profit as a higher right superseding the right of people to survive and feed and educate their young is a violation. It violates a far higher natural law. Even John Locke believed the earth and the resources were shared. 
So what rights and responsibilities do we human earthlings have regarding Earth's resources? Can we ever say that clearing a forest is okay, let alone good? I cannot answer that for you. But I can offer this final thought. We have rights here and responsibilities, and we will do well to examine where they spring from. Taking the notion that rights flow from responsibility, we have the right to food and nourishment from resources on this planet precisely because we are responsible for feeding our bodies and our children. From responsibility flows right. And as living beings, we have the right to life and to draw on Earth's resources precisely because as life forms, we have the responsibility of taking our bundle of DNA and launching it into the future. But we have this right, whether we choose or are able to procreate or not. My mix of DNA is unique, but it is almost identical to yours. Almost identical. And so I am almost exactly as responsible for supporting my life as I am for supporting your life and helping your life go into the future. We each stretch life into the eons through mutual aid. Throughout nature, we watch this happen as bird cousins come home to help their relatives with new hatchlings and as entire herds nurture one another's offspring. And thinking of all the other animals, I am not that different, am I? The DNA that we have that is almost identical, that DNA we share with all animals. And there is far more in common than what differs. We share a common debt to our shared ancestors. If we have a right then to enjoy the information bundled in our DNA, we have a responsibility with that to reciprocate in a grand relationship and to help further all life so created. The responsibility of life, which stretches back through all the ancestral information buried in our DNA, now gives us the right to live and continue our part in the project of life on this planet. And with this fundamental and precious right, we hold a fundamental responsibility to continue life on this planet. This is how we obtain our right to live among the other earthlings, to share and consume our resources together and simultaneously launch life into the future. No piece of paper, no matter how many people decree it to be true, can ever supersede the rights and responsibilities of life to life on Earth. We have no right to consume and profit to the detriment of life on this planet let alone our fellow humans who are closest to us. Not only are we utterly insufficient to supersede this natural law, as Antigone states by the hand of Sophocles, if we act as though we supersede the natural law, we condemn ourselves. So where does this leave us? You and I, we have all surely, directly or indirectly violated a natural law. But remember, it is irrevocable. So how can we return to right relationship 
and honor our responsibility and thus earn our natural rights. Some rights are based on our beliefs and others flow from our relationships and responsibility. Some rights are as flimsy as the paper they're written on and others are older than our ancestors and the ancestors of trees. They flow from our natural responsibility as living beings. What right do you believe that you have to the land, the small spot of earth on which you rest in this moment and all the earth upon whom you depend for nourishment? I wish you many blessings on your discernment of what right you hold and what responsibility you owe this planet. A planet upon whom we all depend and within which we all find joy. May we continue to do so for eons to come. Happy Earth Day. Amen. We are together today. And together we have experienced inspiration and comfort and longing. Let us then together take what we, what we lit here, take the inspiration that we got and carry it out into all the world. Let us soak in this community. Let us think of our connection to nature. And let us think of our connection to one another deeply. When you go deep, may you find that these are the same. We are deeply connected in a web of life that begs us off of us all to hold our responsibility. This deep connection begs us all to respond to one another, to care for the earth, and to seek help when we need it. May we go forward finding new ways to build the world that we dream of, to care for this planet for eons to come. Blessed be and amen. <laughs>